0: Distance balls. Sure, they go far, but do they do anything else? The new ERC Soft does. Callaway completely reinvented the way a distance ball performs. Engineered with a new, fast, hybrid cover and a graphene infused dual soft fast core. It's a new kind of distance ball, one that actually feels soft and spins more. And once you're on the green, ERC Soft's triple-track technology will help you dial in your alignment. Get Callaway's longest ball with soft feel today at callawaygolf.ca. In the wake of their defeat at the hands of the Liberals last week, much talk has been made of what happens next for not only the Conservative Party in Canada, but the Conservative movement. Do they need to move to the left to attract more voters from the center? Or do they need to be more confident in the conservative ideas they're communicating? I'm Dave Breckenridge and this is 10-3. We talked to Stuart Thompson from the National Post about what some prominent conservative thinkers are saying about the defeat and where they go from here. Don't forget you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your audio. We'd love it if you could leave us a rating and a review. So Stuart, it's been about a week, little over a week since uh, election night. Has there been kind of a a consensus of thought starting to coalesce around what happened with the conservatives and their campaign?
1: Yeah, I think we're still in the postmortem phase right now. People are still kind of assembling all of their thoughts. And, you know, as a, a journalist, you write this piece and, you know, we got four voices and they're very interesting voices and authoritative voices, but they all they said some similar things, they said some different things, and they all put sort of different emphasis on things that may have cost them those seats in the election. So this is a long process. The sort of coalescing theme that we went for in our piece was that the conservative campaign seemed very tentative around a lot of things, especially, you know, old school conservative values. So Mm -hmm. things that you would expect the conservative party to be putting you know, first and foremost, the way the liberal party does with their liberal values, um, they seemed a little shy about it. And so we just kind of examined in our piece, what would have happened if they'd been more confident about those conservative ideas? And that was definitely a point of consensus that the campaign
0: could have used a bit more confidence. So you and you and Brian Platt, uh, your, your Ottawa colleague for the National Post, you both uh, spoke with uh, a number of people who kind of have uh, clout in the conservative movement in Canada. You talked with Corey Tanike, who uh, many may remember as, as being involved with Sun News Network uh, in a previous iteration of part of Post Media uh, before the merger of Post Media and Sun Media. You had uh, Ken Bosenkool, who's a conservative academic and, and former strategist. Um, what are some of the ideas that they're talking about relating to whether the conservatives are tentative. Like, what does that mean that a conservative party wasn't talking up conservative values in the campaign?
1: Yeah, I I can hit this from both sides, which is that, you know, you talk to someone like Corey Tanike and he is sort of a strategist, like his... uh, the thing he is best at, I think, is looking at the maps and looking at the writings and you know the the grand strategy of how you're going to win those. And that was his focus: was what was the strategy and how does that affect the leader during the campaign? And then you have you know sort of the thinkers, the guys who are interested in the ideas. Um, and Sean Spear is one of those guys. Like he's going to always go to what were our ideas and how did we sell them? And I I see some real overlap here, which is that. Corey tonight talked about the frame the conservatives put on Justin Trudeau, which he thought was a good one. And that was the frame that he's a phony, he's a fraud, he's going to let you down. And that really resonated in their focus groups. And that was why Andrew Scheer came out immediately in the debate and called Trudeau a phony and a fraud. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is another side to that, which I hadn't even thought about until I talked to tonight about it, which is that when you put this frame in voters' minds they apply it to your guy too. So if voters are thinking about trustworthiness, they are going to be thinking about Trudeau, but then they're going to be looking at Shear with an extra careful eye on how trustworthy he is. So you have to set yourself up as, you know, this paragon of authenticity when you do that. And the tactical mistake that uh, Tonight thinks the campaign made on this was that, you know, in issues like you know, abortion, same-sex marriage, the um, dual citizenship issue that came up that Andrew shared American citizenship. There was a lot of waffling at the end of the campaign about this incredibly insider story about uh, Warren Kinsella um, digging up dirt on the People's Party of Canada that, you know, the Conservative Party was accused of hiring him for that. They wouldn't give a straight answer on any of these issues. Mm -hmm. And on some of them, they took, you know, two, three, four days of oscillating back and forth, you know, making a statement one day and then walking it back the next day. And then maybe on the fourth day, they came right out and said, okay, here's what we believe after the maximum amount of media damage had been done. So uh, tonight's sense was that when you have your leader waffling and looking around as if he's searching for the answer that will be satisfying to the electorate, it just looks really bad. And the authenticity thing, if that's The thing that's foremost in voters' minds, I mean, that's that's going to really damn you in a lot of writings. So, uh, the national frame was his big problem. And then I talked to Sean Spear, who's a former senior Harper advisor. He's an ideas guy, and he was saying, you know, we need to, rather than you know having a costed platform and announcing it on the Friday afternoon before Thanksgiving when nobody's going to see it, why not be confident and explain to people why we're doing what we're doing explain that we think government is spending too much money, and we have a plan to stop that, and it's not going to be satisfying to everyone, but we believe it's the best thing to do. And the contrast to that is in Alberta, where Jason Kenney just went on TV and did a big address talking about his budget with lots of cuts and tried to explain why those cuts were being made. And, you know, a lot of people are going to hate that, but those are probably people that aren't voting conservative in the first place. So you might be able to expand the base a little bit just by explaining why you're doing what you're doing.
0: Which is true, and for those who who aren't from Alberta who haven't seen Jason's, Jason Jason Kenny's message, uh, the day before he announced is the his finance minister gave his budget speech in the legislature. Jason Kenny uh, was on TV and radio in the province uh, talking about. Um, tough choices that are ahead. However, it does kind of contradict the idea because during the election campaign, Jason Kenney talked about while he wanted to reduce spending, uh, because the NDP bankrupted Alberta, essentially, those aren't his exact words, obviously, but the NDP put Alberta in a very precarious situation financially, he talked a lot about maintaining public services and maintaining uh, or increasing funding in, in health and education, and while his budget did maintain uh, education spending and increase slightly health spending, there are a bunch of other areas that are that are facing cuts that weren't necessarily telegraphed until this budget does do you get into any of that in the future or is it just looking at you know Jason Kenney is a guy who who is at least wearing his conservative bona fides on his sleeve and saying we need to reduce the size of government, we need to reduce government spending.
1: I I, t- I do note in the piece that it's easier to be a loud and proud conservative in Alberta than <laughs> Andrew Scheer making his platform announcement in BC. And you know, he's speaking to Quebec voters and Ontario voters. Um so there are some differences. And the doing if you believe you need to do cuts in government and this is often an ideological question of whether cuts need to be done or whether they don't need to be done what you have to do and this is what harper did when he was in, when he was running the federal government you have to have a plan to justify those cuts you have to be able to ex- explain why you're making them you have to be able to say this program was supposed to do x it's not doing it and it's costing us this much money and there could be better ways to achieve that outcome. And if you'll notice that, you know, in Ontario, Doug Ford is is doing a similar kind of cost cutting plan and running into a lot of problems where they get a big media uh, backlash and a public backlash. And then they're just walking back those cuts because they don't have a way to justify why they're making them. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm sure that Kenny would tell you that, you know, the reason they did that inquiry into the finances in Alberta was for exactly that reason. You need to be able to explain it. Uh, And and even then, I mean, things didn't go perfectly smoothly for Harper because, you know, there are unintended consequences when you're cutting in government, just like there are when you're spending Mm -hmm. in government. Um, So these things do need a process and you know, uh, like any party will tell you, the campaign is an imperfect way to get into the details of what you're going to do to a really granular detail. You kind of have to have a broader message. Uh, And and then especially if you're opposition, you don't know what you're walking into sometimes. Sometimes um, the question is a lot less simple than you thought it was. So uh, these are always the kind of things you run into in government.
0: Now you mentioned Doug Ford and Corey tonight, if I'm not mistaken, was one of the, the key campaign officials for Doug Ford's uh, election campaign in 2018. It wasn't it the fact that they were able to stay on a clear message and they weren't apologetic about it either that, you know, Kathleen Wynne has been bad for Ontario and we're in a huge financial hole because of the liberal government and we're going to fix that. Uh, and regardless of what has happened since he became premier At least during that campaign, he was upfront and honest about what they felt they needed to do and seemed authentic about it in the process compared to how Andrew Scheer handled things in the federal election.
1: Yeah, and and I mean, this is one of those things. I mean, no election campaign is the same as any other. I mean, these things take on a life of their own and Ontario is different than Canada as a whole. Um, But one of the things that Tanik did say that Shear could have taken advantage of was just being clear Mm -hmm. at the beginning of every press conference. If there's a problem, you sometimes have to just admit it's a problem. And it's a little bit like with Shear's issue with, you know, uh, he was accused of possibly wanting to bring in some legislation or having opinions about abortion that wouldn't be popular across the country. And I think, you know, it never was totally clear to me because I don't think he came right out and said it, but It did seem to me that he's personally opposed to abortion, personally seems to be opposed to same-sex marriage, although I don't think we ever heard that. He never would say anything along the lines of, you know, he was vocally in favor of it. Um, But the fact that these things are still unclear, I think, tells you a lot about the conservative campaign, that they saw those issues as so toxic that they just couldn't touch them. But they, they couldn't allay people's fears. Uh, on the other end of it either. So they were so toxic, they couldn't touch it, but they wouldn't just come out with an outright denial or a real elucidation of what Sheer really thinks. And uh, there were a lot of people, you know, not in the campaign, but sort of, you know, adjacent to the campaign who felt like this just deserves a big interview on TV or a press conference where you just come out and you say it you say what you believe, you realize it'll be unpopular and it'll be one bad day of media, but that might be better than five bad days or maybe even, you know, 40 bad days where it's lingering in people's minds.
0: Yeah. I think that on the abortion question, I, I do recall Andrew Shear during the leaders debate coming out and talking about being a Catholic and his views being pro-life, but arguing again that he has no intention of legislation on any of these issues. But by that point in the campaign, there had been so much talk about what his personal beliefs may be and the backing of pro-life groups and anti-abortion groups that I think the the question had been solidified in a lot of voters' minds that he can't necessarily be trusted on that issue. Looking at it more broadly and looking to the future, is it a sense that conservatives – just need to do a better job of articulating their beliefs, or is it a sense among conservative thinkers that we need to moderate slightly and move more toward the center, like campaign from the center and govern to the right, or campaign from the right and govern to the center, or, or what's the idea out there among these uh, types of conservative folks?
1: Yeah, so that is one of those things that there will be a lot of different opinions on, and. The the kind of, you know, half-joking um, motivation for our piece was that, you know, after every conservative loss, you're guaranteed to see, especially, you know, the Globe and Mail op-ed pages, classic place for this kind of thing, where <laughs> you'll get a bunch of center-right or center-left columnists who will say, you know, if only the conservatives had been a little more to the left on this issue, which is the issue they care about, and they're hoping that the conservatives will match their policy preferences – then the electorate would have voted for them. And we kind of wanted to go the other way, which is that if they were articulating their ideas a little better and a little more confidently, maybe they would have won. And I get the sense that someone like Corey tonight believes that if they just run a better campaign, a more confident campaign, this could have been in their hands. But the other side of it is that you talk to some people, Sean Spear, for example, he mentioned, I mean, this is just a fact that there hasn't been a conservative majority since the late 80s that didn't rely on Jack Layton catching fire to give it to them. And mm-hmm. Jack Layton's NDP got 30% of the vote in 2011 and that did a lot of the work for the conservatives in getting them their uh, strong stable majority as they call it. So you could as a conservative say okay that's how life is for us we need to rely on some external factors to get there and we just have to wait until those things align. Or you could start to think, well, how do we get to that 50 plus one majority? How do we push our um, electorate so that it's just a little bit bigger, a little more resilient because they already have a good floor. They don't tend to go below 25%. Yeah. Um, we've Yeah, seen the liberals get devastated. We've seen the NDP get devastated, but the conservatives tend to just have this resilience on the low end. And I think some of them are getting tired of this political existence where they have to rely um, you know, for example, Ontario, a lot of people were blaming the Doug Ford government. That's kind of an external factor that they just can't change. Yeah. So if you take those factors out of it, um, how do you build a coalition that is resilient in the face of that kind of stuff and draws voters towards you? And you could say they should be more left-leaning or more centrist in the way they do things. Or, um, you know, for example, I talked to Ken cool about this, who he worked with Harper and was part of, you know, sort of the beginnings of the the Conservative Party of Canada uh, in Alberta. And his solution is that maybe we need conservative solutions to issues that aren't traditionally conservative uh, issues. So, you know, you didn't hear Andrew Scheer talk a lot about daycare during the campaign. And conservatives have always stayed away from that because they don't want to build some state-sponsored daycare program because it's kind of, you know, that's the antithesis of what they're striving for. But, you know, Boston Cool would say, why not give people, you know, a couple hundred bucks a month towards daycare? And that's something that Harper started doing. Um, it's something you could you could boost a little bit and make it part of a campaign. Um, Other issues like homelessness, you don't hear conservatives talking a lot about that, but if they were to come up with conservative solutions to these problems, it could draw people in from
0: uh, areas and from demographics that they haven't traditionally got. Now, when you look at the conservative votes in the 2019 election, you saw them pick up uh, votes in places like Alberta most of BC outside of Vancouver, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, the Atlantic provinces, but they're still hurting in, in areas in Ontario and Quebec. In fact, their their vote totals dropped in both of those provinces. How much of it is urban centers in highly dense areas like Southern Ontario and like, say, Montreal? Is it a case of they, they need to do more to reach out to those people? And how much of it is... We got to try and build around those areas.
1: Yeah. I mean, that is sort of the key issue for them because if you look at Ontario and Quebec, they drastically underperformed. And if you were looking at the key to the election for them, I mean, that's it. And there are a lot of different theories as to how they should address that. Um, Someone pointed out that, you know, that's areas like Brampton, areas around the 905, higher immigrant populations. This is the kind of area that Jason Kenney, when he was um, a minister in Stephen Harper's government, that was his bread and butter. And they brought him in to campaign there. Um, the Conservative Party did during this election. So that is an area that they could expand because they'll always point out that you know new immigrants um, tend to be more culturally conservative than the Canadian average. So the Conservatives feel like there's some potential to grow there. Quebec, though, is a really tough nut to crack for them because it, it's hard to really imagine what they could have done more to pander to Quebec than what they did. Mm-hmm. And it just did not sell. And, you know, there's – I remember Chantal Libera, the Toronto Star columnist, saying that Andrew Shear's performance in the Quebec debate was the worst she's seen by a federal leader ever. And she's had a long, illustrious career. Um, so that that tells you something. And, you know, they had – They had a lot of stuff in their platform for Quebec. They campaigned there just nonstop. Like I haven't tallied it up, but they were there a lot Mm -hmm. and it did almost nothing for them. So I think they either have to decide that they need a new strategy or they need a new place to put a new strategy. So uh, I don't have any answers on that one, but I, I know that's what people in the conservative party are thinking about right now is the 905, how they win that back. I think they feel like that's winnable And that may have been where you saw the Ford factor the most. You know, Lisa Raitt in Milton probably took some of that, but she herself denied that Ford was part of it. And that's just a a problem with changing demographics in Milton. Um, So they're dealing with a lot of different factors there. And even pinpointing what is the main factor, I think is going
0: to involve a big argument in the conservative party. Yeah. Now, looking at the leadership question, the conservatives will kind of take care of that on their own, as Andrew Shear has to face a leadership review. When does that happen? So that's April uh, of next year,
1: and I I think that Andrew Shear will be spending a lot of his time between now and then trying to convince people um, that he should still be the leader. And I think probably it won't really be in his hands. I know that you know part of his case for staying on as leader is that he got kind of a raw deal and the Ford factor in Ontario was part of that raw deal. But one thing, one thing that Corey tonight said in the piece that we wrote on the weekend was, you know, you had a blackface scandal, you had the SNC Lavalin affair. Um, you had a lot of things going in your favor and this campaign couldn't communicate their message effectively. And I think that is what's going to be on a lot of conservatives minds is If they see this as a huge missed opportunity that, you know, a better leader would have taken, then uh, Andrew Scheer's days are numbered. But if they see it as, you know, there were a lot of headwinds and maybe the country wasn't quite ready to dump Justin Trudeau yet, um, then maybe he's got a fighting chance. But a lot of this will come down to who is maneuvering, who's getting ready behind the scenes um, if Scheer does have a poor leadership review. Um, because I think people will be looking at the um, alternative. Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone wants to get into a race where you have Max Bernier and Andrew Scheer um, in the final ballot like they did last time. Um, I think they're going to want someone who kind of brings some gravitas to the job. And I think a lot of them are looking warily at the liberal situation after Paul Martin, where it just seemed like they had a locked door and they were trying different keys to see which one fit (laughs) and none of them were fitting. And that I think was hiding problems in the party that, you, know, you have this feeling if you're a member of a party that just getting the right leader will fix things. But the liberals had real foundational problems back then and one of the underrated things Justin Trudeau did, did was he fixed them and he got rid of a lot of the toxic elements of the party, a lot of the infighting. Um, I don't think conservatives have those same problems to that degree, but I think a lot of them are looking for some kind of overhaul. <laughs>
0: Stuart, thanks for your time. Thank you. Ten Three is produced by Carson Jarama. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Stuart Thompson. More from him at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.